Thank you for joining us today at LifePoint Church. We believe Sundays are an opportunity to know God. For more information, including locations, service times, and small groups, please visit our website at lifepointchurch.tv. Let's jump into the message. Hey, what's up, LifePoint Church? How y'all doing today? Come on now, what a great morning. Excited to be with all of you guys and welcome. Hey, my name is Mike Burnett. If you're new with us today, I wanna introduce myself to you. And my wife, Stephanie, and I are honored to serve as pastors of our church. I wanna say thank you for being with us, especially if it's your very first time. If you would take a moment, just scan that QR code or in the seat back in front of you, there's a I'm new card. You can fill that out and give it to whoever invited you or hand it to one of our ushers. Hey, if you're in this service, if you could please scoot in from the edges, that would be really helpful to us as we still have some families coming into our service. So those of you, especially uh, stadium seats and those of you along the edges, if you can scoot in and fill in those gaps, that would be very helpful to us. Always love when I say that, looking at you and none of you move. That's one of my favorite things. <laughs> hey, um, all of you should have received, is that passive aggressive? I don't know. Um, all of you should have received our worship guide when you came in the room and on the back specifically is a great place for you to take a lot of notes today. Uh, we are walking through the book of Ruth and so preaching an Old Testament narrative has its challenges already and, and then seeing the character and the nature of God for us in that text. So I wanna encourage you to take good notes on the message today and orient yourself to all the details on the front as well. Before we get into uh, the book of Ruth today, I wanna just thank our veterans. Come on, everybody, can we say thank you? Thank you to our veterans who serve and are serving and have served. I always get you know, feedback on how to say it right, and you know, it's Veterans versus uh, Armed Forces Day. Look, I'm just gonna honor all of you because I like all of you, okay? Uh, but let me just take a moment right now and give a shout out and tons of honor to those of you who have served and who do serve in our nation's military, November 11th is, is the day our nation celebrates it. But as a church, we honor you guys all the time. We pray for you daily and we love you. My wife, Stephanie, and I consider it one of our greatest honors to pastor in an army town and to serve you and your families. We don't take it lightly for all that you do. From the bottom of our heart, from our team, we thank you. Um, I just wanna say a couple things over you and encouraging you and then pray for you. When you say yes to serve in defense of our nation, you are serving in one of the most significant ways you can imagine. In fact, you're saying yes to defend an entire country. You're saying yes to avenge uh, when necessary. You're saying yes to protecting the innocent, yes to defending freedoms. In fact, you're defending freedoms that you may not even agree with. Like people do things in their freedom that you're going, I can't believe I defended that, but you said yes to defend that and thank you so much. You're also saying that you're willing to do whatever it takes to serve, protect, and defend, even possibly at the cost of losing your own life. I just wanna say thank you for that. Jesus said, it is better to serve others than to be served. And your willingness to say yes to serving our nation is, is so admirable. You're serving the millions of Americans is such an incredible honor, and we honor you for that. Jesus also said, no one expresses any greater love than that he would be willing to lay down his life or lose his life for others. You are serving in an incredible act of love for people, millions of whom you will never meet. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 13, the governments of the world have a responsibility to govern a civilization with authority and they have a divine responsibility within our government, a divine responsibility to bear the sword is the scripture's language. And that's very often where you come in as part of the bearing of the sword. That, that language means you, you carry the, the sword to defend and to avenge. Paul also says of you that those who govern and defend in this way are servants of God. 
That's the language God uses for governments who defend our nation. So I just want you to know that we honor you for your service. We thank God for your service now and in the past. We, we thank you for your willingness to love us in one of the most difficult ways imaginable. And most of all, I want you to know that God is using you and it is divine service that you are serving your nation in this way. So thank you for your service to your country. Thank you for your service to our God. Can I hear an amen from everybody? Can we honor our veterans, everybody? Come on. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I just wanna take a moment and pray over you, pray over your families, those that are serving and have served. Lord, may the peace of Almighty God that surpasses understanding guard the hearts and minds of all of these veterans, soldiers. God, thank you for your protection. Psalm 91 says you would give your angels charge around us to watch over us and keep us. Psalm 144, David prayed that, God, you would train my hands for battle and my fingers for war. God, I pray that every soldier that's actively serving would be as sharp as can be, God, that they would be so skilled in their jobs. Thank you, Lord, for peace that surpasses understanding. I pray that the joy of the Lord would be the fulfilling virtue of the homes of these families. Lord, I also pray for wholeness. I pray for mental and emotional wholeness for every soldier, every family member, both now and those who have served and have retired and gotten out of the military. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for this awesome opportunity that they have served our nation with love and a willingness to sacrifice and, and as, an, as an ambassador and a minister of your kingdom to the glory of God forever in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for your service and uh, thanks for being a generous church. I just wanna give you a quick update um, of your generosity and what your generosity is doing and then I wanna get into Ruth chapter two. But first of all, let me just say thank you for giving as always. We're a church that believes in tithing and also giving generously beyond the tithe and if this is your home church, I wanna encourage you to be a faithful part of the, the giving and the tithing of LifePoint. If you're uh, working and you, you draw an income, let, let me just remind you, like we put the Lord first in the area of our finances and tithing is a way that we do that. And so let me encourage you to be faithful in that as well. But your giving is making an impact beyond our local church. We talk about this a lot, that our giving goes to help missions partners. How many of you are thankful for our local partners like YAPAC, Hope Pregnancy Center and others? We're just so thankful for the partnership we have there. We're growing in relationship again with loaves and fishes as well. I'm just so excited for that. But also, uh, your, your giving is making a big deal here at your church. Your generosity helped us start a campus again at Austin Peay State University, and we were able to do that with no debt and to do it all pay as we go. We're, we're groundbreaking on a new facility on our Tiny Town Road campus, and all of you get to be a part of that through our forward campaign. I wanna encourage all of you to be faithful in joining that forward campaign, our giving campaign for that. But also our Rossview campus had some needed updates and expansions and changes. And I just wanted to tell you, your giving allowed us to pay cash for these differences, these changes in our building, specifically as it blesses the next generation, our kid point. How many of you, hey, listen, if you want a great team to serve on on a Sunday, let me just invite all of you to join our kid point team. These are world changers. All of our teams are great, but I'm just telling you, our kid, they will keep you very, very, very much on your toes and humbled because they ain't impressed with none of you. You know what I'm saying? I love it. But listen, uh, this, this last couple weeks, we've been working to make some adjustments. And let me just show you, your giving allowed us to do this uh, completely paid for. But our Kid Point check-in area was real tight and crowded. So we actually moved that uh, and closed that in for classroom. Now we have our self-check-in. And then our, our Kid Point check-in area is where our bookstore used to be at Rossview. And it's much bigger. And then we were able to add a new nursery, a new infant nursery, where our Kid Point check-in was. And so now we have a much bigger room for infants, not because the babies are bigger, there's just more of them. 
And I'm very excited to tell you, LifePoint, we've doubled the square feet, the footprint of our special needs classrooms. And I thank God for the ministry. We thank God that we have a church that ministers to families with children with special needs. And I'm telling you, it's been such a blessing. We had to, we had to double the square feet of that space, that opportunity, that ministry, uh, because families are finding like, I can come to church and my kids are well cared for. And so thank you for your generosity. You're, you're touching the next generation. And, and it seems like just a wall moved here or there or, or a contracted job. But first of all, you blessed a family and, and many families who did the work, but also you blessed many families that will come and receive ministry through your generosity. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for your giving, whether you do it online, in the mail, on our website, however you wanna do it, thank you so much for giving. Isn't that fun, everybody? I just think that's great. <clears throat> hey, today we are in our second of a four-week series in the book of Ruth. So since you brought your Bibles today, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Ruth, and uh, we are looking at chapter number two. I've titled the message for today, Walk in Faithfulness and Experience God's Favor. Walk in Faithfulness and Experience God's Favor. How many of you say, I wanna experience God's blessing and favor on my life? I don't know of anybody that would actually turn that down, just so you know, but maybe you don't wanna participate in a random poll. How many of you would like to per experience God's favor and blessing on your life? Well, I wanna say this, uh, a couple statements, and I'll repeat them a lot, but I, I wanna say that I believe 100% that God desires to bless you. God wants to pour out his favor on your life. I believe that. I think we serve a good God. I don't think he's mad at you. In fact, I don't think he operates with righteous judgment and indignation and lightning bolts. I don't think that's the God we serve at all. I think God loves you and he's for you and he wants to bless you and he wants to favor you. I also believe with 100% certainty that God desires that every one of us walk in faithfulness and obedience to him in every area of our lives. We like to say it as, as our church, our mission is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. We want you to be fully favored by God, and we also want you to walk in full faithfulness to God. Now, I have to be careful that I don't present this as some type of formula that allows you to force God to bless you or tries to manipulate God to perform for you because you've been behaving right. But I do just wanna say it like from a, from a first perspective, I just believe God wants you to walk in faithfulness and God wants to bless and favor your life as well. And I also think these things are connected. I think the favor of God and the blessing of God can be a result of your obedience and your faithfulness to God. And let me say this, you can control your faithfulness to God. You can be in charge of your obedience to God. You can say no to sin and yes to righteousness. You can choose to be obedient and faithful to the Lord. You may not be able to choose the blessing in favor of God or force that, but you can force your faithfulness and obedience to him. So let's jump into the second chapter of Ruth because it actually helps us see someone who's been faithful to God, someone who's been obedient and trusting the Lord, and then the, 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 the recurring like blessings and favor showered on her life through Boaz and ultimately through God. Boaz is now the newest character in the story of the book of Ruth. If you remember last week, we introduced Ruth, chapter one, we're introduced to our main characters of the story and a major tragedy that sets the tone for the whole book. There's a famine in Israel, that's actually the first tragedy and the first bad news of the book. And we see this couple named Elimelech and Naomi who are living in Bethlehem, part of Israel, and they decide to flee from the tragedy and they move to a neighboring country called Moab. Moab is an enemy state of Israel. They had history where they were in 
family dynasties and they were part, you know, they were settled by the, the sons of Lot and there's some history there. But now Moab is an enemy state of Israel. They're a neighboring community, but they're at odds with Israel. In fact, God in, in the book of Numbers condemns the Moabites and the people there because of their sexual immorality and their defiance against God. So Elimelech and Naomi, because of a famine in Israel, have decided to go to Moab, a country they don't belong in, an enemy nation. And while they're there, they bring their two sons with them, Malon and Chilion. While they're there, they get married, the two boys. In fact, the Bible says that they settled there and the boys get married to local Moabite women. Then the story takes a deep left turn and it says Elimelech, the father died. 10 years later, the boys are married and they die. So we start this story with a lot of tragedy. Famine, flight out of country to another land. Then they get married and all three husbands die. Tragically, we're left with three widows. We have Naomi, the, the, the matriarch of the family, and we have our two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. At this time, we don't see any kids, any grandkids, and we don't see any other family there. So we have Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. Orpah goes back to her family of origin at the request of Naomi, who's grown bitter and angry at God. And then Ruth declares, I'm not leaving you, Naomi. I'm with you, ride or die. I'm gonna go where you go. I'm gonna live where you live. I'm gonna worship your God will be my God. So this is the beginning of the story of, of Ruth, and it's honestly pretty heavy. Last week, I talked about when tragedy strikes, how do we respond to God and how can we see the hand of God? Naomi, in her tragedy, decided to grow bitter with God. And this, this part is actually really interesting as we look at today's text. Naomi decided to be bitter at God. She accused God and assumed God had turned his hand against her and even said, the Lord's dealt bitterly with me, so I've changed my name from Naomi to Mara, which means bitter. However, we start seeing God's activity. This is one of the only books in the Bible, I think it's the only book in the Bible where God doesn't speak. There's no thus says the Lord text. And yet we see the movement and the activity of God throughout the book of Ruth. But we start seeing the hand of God and the blessing of God on Naomi. And the first blessing that we see on Naomi, even though she's bitter, is Ruth decides to stay with her. And then we see at the end of chapter one that Naomi and Ruth come back to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. If you remember last week, I mentioned how this is a very specific uh, thing to take note of, particularly because in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, there was a law that anyone who was farming, you would always leave the edges of your field unharvested at harvest time to feed widows, orphans, outsiders, and people who were ceremonially unclean, right? So, so the edges of your harvest were left to be a blessing to other people. Well, how crazy ironic is this, not ironic at all, providence of God, that when they come back to Bethlehem, it's at the time of harvest when Naomi and Ruth, who Naomi's bitter at God, God's still providing for her even though she's mad at him. So this provision is set up there and that's what brings us to chapter number two where we then see Ruth starting to do the work of gleaning. Now you gotta remember, Ruth is a non-Israelite. She's a Moabite, she doesn't serve God. She serves pagan gods and she's new to all of this, but she's committed to Naomi, her mother-in-law. Now it's gonna feel like story time with Mike, everybody. You good? So just snuggle up with your blankie and just listen to the story. Check it out. Ruth chapter two, starting in verse one, we're gonna learn how to walk in faithfulness and experience God's favor. And, and the way that that starts is we have to learn to trust God's plan and trust God's process. If you guys can help me in the back, my clicker's not working right now. We're gonna trust God's plan and we're gonna trust God's process. Pick up with me in verse number one. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man. You should underline that, I think it's great. 
a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Anybody else need a name for your son? Here we go. Now, Ruth, the Moabite, remember, enemy of Israel, enemy state of Israel, says to Naomi, let me go to the field and I will glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. So Naomi says, go, my daughter. Verse three says, so she sets out and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. He's a cousin. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he says to his reapers, the Lord bless you. I just think this is a great greeting, y'all. You should start this way when you go to work tomorrow. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. Hey, welcome to Kroger. The Lord bless you. Look here. Boaz says to the reapers, the Lord bless you. And they said, the Lord bless you. I just feel like this is a good back and forth here. Then Boaz says to his young man who's in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman. Now immediately Boaz is thinking, Moabite woman, this is not one of our people. This is not one of our Israelites. This is okay. She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she has asked, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and he continued, and she, so she's come and she has continued to reap from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Now I want you to notice something here. We're gonna trust the Lord and trust his plan and his process. I want you to notice Boaz is a relative and this is gonna come in key in a minute when we, when we get to learn about this process of kinsman redeemer and how it works. But, but the first thing the Bible calls him is a worthy man. We also see his character just on display. When he walks in the room, he blesses the people. God bless you, the Lord bless you. And they're bless you, boss. Like there's, a, there's an amicable relationship of blessing here. And then we see that he blesses his people when he sees them and he's taken notice of Ruth. We don't know why, we have some speculation, but he takes notice of her. It's Naomi's daughter-in-law, so he asks about her. She's gleaning in his field on his farm and he asks about her and he's allowing her to glean his fields because it's part of God's plan. It's part of God's process. There's a law and a provision in the law of God that for widows and orphans and outsiders and people who are ceremonially unclean, they can, they can glean, they can harvest off the edges of the field. So he sees this woman out there on the edge of his field and rather than be negative about it or assume she must be some widow or some foreigner, he's going, who's that? Who's that lady? It's great that Ruth found herself here, honestly. If you read ahead, you kind of know where the story's going, but if not, let me just tell you why. She's new to the traditions of Naomi. She's new to the Jewish traditions, right? The, Israel, the Hebrew traditions. But she, without asking questions, without trying to go her own way and hustle her own plan, she just gets into the process that God had for widows. And she gets into the edge of the field and what happens is she finds herself submitted to God's plan. She's submitted to God's system for provision. And what it does is it sets her up to gain the, gain the attention of a man named Boaz. Here's what she didn't do. She didn't try to go around God's process. She didn't try to do it her own way. She didn't go, you know what, I'll just start a business or I'll start doing things or I'll just go steal or I'll just take advantage of others. Naomi said, here's the plan that God's provided so go to the edge of the field. And Ruth says, hey, mom, I'll go do it. I'll submit to this plan. You gotta remember Ruth's heart. She said, I will serve your God. She doesn't know the God of the Hebrews. She's a brand new believer to this whole system. And yet she trusted it completely. Do you remember when you were a new Christian, how much easier it was to just trust God? Hello? 
I just remember as a young Christian before I had a lot of theology in my head and a lot of Bible studies in my brains, man, I just remember hearing things for the first time going, okay, I'll try that. Okay, I'll do that. Ruth is somewhat naive about the history and the theology of God's people, but she's trusting God's plan and she's walking in it. And what it did is it set her up in a place for the rest of this story to unfold. She didn't try to go around God's plan. She's new to following God's laws, but she's decided to trust God's plan and process. I wanna encourage us in all things that we would be people who decide, I'm gonna trust God's way over my own way. I'm gonna trust God's plans over my own plans. Can I tell you something? I've, I've gotten to walk through life with many of you, and, and as a church right now, we've got some families in our church that are going through some really difficult times. One of the things we just constantly encourage through small groups and through pastoral, pastoral care here Hey, here's what God's word teaches us. Here's what God's plan reveals to us. And we're constantly trying to push people back to trust God's plan. Trust God's ways are higher than our ways. Can I hear an amen from somebody today? Listen, don't try to manipulate, move around, or skirt God's process. You may not understand it. It may not make sense. Can you imagine Ruth's probably thinking, I got skills, I got a degree, I could go get a job. But she's committed, I'm gonna trust your God and I'm gonna do it this way. So it sets her up to be in the middle of God's process and God's plan, it sets her up for the rest of the story. So verse eight says, so Boaz says to Ruth, their first encounter, now listen, my daughter. That's interesting that he immediately starts giving her familiar language. He says, listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field. Do not leave this field. Stay close to my young women, the other women that are part of our reapers, the other women that are part of our family and our team, you stay close to us. Remember, she's a Moabite, she's a foreigner, she's a widow. And Boaz is saying, hey, daughter, don't go in another field, don't leave this field, stay close to our young women, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go in after they go in, go in with them. And then he says, have I not charged the young men, not to touch you. And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Boaz has taken notice of Ruth because Ruth was following God's process. You have to understand, he would have never seen her if she hadn't positioned herself to trust God's plan and trust God's process. Are you hearing me, everybody? All of a sudden, Ruth is in a position to be seen by Boaz, to be provided for by Boaz. In fact, he's using familial language saying, listen, my daughter, he brings her clothes. He's like, hey, I'm gonna treat you like family. I don't even know you. I see you. I've heard a little bit about you. I'm gonna bring you close. That's what she's thinking. I'm, I'm, I'm calling you family language. And he brings her close to resources. He says, stay in my fields. Don't go to the neighbor's fields. Like stay in our company, stay in our, our tribe here. And we're gonna provide for you. In fact, he says, I've even told the guys in the field, don't touch her. Now, there's some debates on why he would say this. Maybe he's just looking out generally to protect a lady who's a part of his care. Some people have suggested that Boaz or the guys of this time would have just naturally taken advantage of a woman in her condition, a foreigner, a widow, and maybe even some have suggested that Boaz typically would have told the guys that worked for him, hey, there's a new young lady, have your way with her. It's not clear. We know him as an honorable man. The Bible calls him a good, like a good man, a worthy man. So I don't think that he necessarily has a, a history of just creating these horrible environments for women but he explicitly says to her, I've told the men that work for me not to bother you. 
What does this show us about what happened for Ruth automatically? Remember, she's a foreigner, she's a widow, she's from a foreign nation that's enemies with Israel and she has no man to care for her. All of a sudden, this man is calling her daughter. He says, hey, you can have all of my field. Don't leave, don't, go fight, don't, don't try to go to another field and I'll even look out for you and no one in my team will bother you. He says, when you get thirsty, drink from our wells as much as you want. It's interesting how this happens. We know him to be a worthy man, and we'll see later how he cares for her even more, but he becomes a a resource for Ruth to have a field from which to glean. She's gonna have as much barley as she needs. If you remember, the law provides for widows and outsiders and orphans and foreigners and people who are sick to glean off the edges of the field, but for some reason, Boaz has taken a lot of notice for her, and he's given her more than just, hey, grab a few handfuls of grain, He's giving her a lot of grain. He's giving her water. He's giving her protection. I just want you to understand kind of the, the, the way this kind of unpacked it here. We've got God's process, which Ruth just walks into it by faith because she doesn't even know it. It's important that when we want to live faithful to God, we learn to trust God's process. We choose, I'm gonna walk in the way that God has set for me. Then what it does is it opens up God's provision. In doing so, because she was in the place that God had set as a process for her as a widow, she's now positioned herself under God's provision. My first pastor used to say it like this. He'd say, man, God wants to bless you. And you need to make sure a surefire way that you can position yourself to receive God's blessing is to be faithful and obedient to the Lord. I gotta say it again. This is not a formula. You can't go to God and say, Lord, I've been obedient. You better bless me. But I'll tell you this. God wants to bless you, and what you can control is your obedience and faithfulness to him. Pastor would say, listen, I wanna be under the umbrella of God's blessing, and the way I put myself under that place is I stay tethered to him, close to him, and obedient to him. So we have God's process, we have God's provision, and then we see the Lord's protection. I think it's really interesting. Part of walking with God, being faithful to him, is that we can learn to trust him to protect us and call on his word and call on him to avenge us and even to defend us. You and I get the privilege of trusting and obeying God, of trusting his process, even if we don't see the end result. So far, Ruth is walking eyes forward with no end of the story. Like she hasn't read ahead or, or you know, gotten to see it objectively yet, but she's just walking forward, trusting God, obeying the process. Even if we don't, we don't see the end result, I want you guys to understand something. You can walk by faith and faithfulness in obedience to God, even if you don't know where it's going. And I wanna challenge you, no matter what you're walking through, that you would look to seek God's word and seek God's will and trust God's process and walk in it. As a pastor for years, I feel like, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm just a broken record of just repeating myself to remind people, hey, listen, Read your Bible, pray, confess your sins, forgive quickly, be in church, participate in small groups. And can I just tell all of you, that is still the process God has for us. Hello? A life of obedience to God, a life of obedience to his word, it's still the process that God has for us. And we don't get an opportunity to skirt that or to rewrite his process because, hey, that's just old school and antiquated. Nobody lives that way anymore. God is the Lord, he changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word's still alive and still matters, and we can still trust the process of God. Come faithfully to him, follow Christ, submit your life to him, be involved in his church, be generous, be forgiving, be faithful to God. Are y'all hearing me, everybody? And what it does is it puts you in a place and a position to receive the blessing and the favor of God. 
and his protection. Here's what I want you to see too as we move forward. Your faithfulness to God, it'll make a difference for you. We're also gonna see it'll make a difference for others, but it will make a difference for you. Watch this, verse 10. So starting back in verse eight. So Boaz says to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't glean from any other field. Don't leave my field. Stay close to my young women. Let your eyes be on this field that you're reaping and then go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you when you're thirsty? Go to our vessels and drink what the young men are drinking. Verse 10, so she fell on her face, bowing to the ground. You gotta think of her roots from Moab and probably the way she was trained to treat men and men in authority. She bows on her on the ground to, to, with her face to the ground. And she says, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? I think it's interesting how she's reminding him of her disqualifications. And Boaz answered, why did she find favor? Here's, what, here's his answer. Because all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, it's all been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother, how you left your native land, how you came to a people you did not know before. Here's what I want you to understand. Ruth was just being honorable to Naomi. Ruth was being obedient to what she felt stirred to do by coming with Naomi. Ruth was being obedient to trust this process that Naomi's teaching her about barley harvest. And, and watch this, And Boaz took notice of it. I need you to understand people are watching your life. People see the life you live. People are observing the way you treat your clients, the way you treat your family, the way you talk on social media. People are paying attention to your life. And more importantly than other people paying attention to your life, God is taking notice of every part of your life, of your faithfulness to him or where you struggle with that. She thinks Boaz is being good to her, but he actually says, she's going, why are you so good to me? And he says, everything you've done from your mother-in-law, everything you've done, how you left your, your native land. And he said, but it's the Lord who's repaying you for what you've done. And a full reward is given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings now you've really come to take refuge. Let me tell you something. You want favor with people, but you absolutely want favor from God. And listen, not only do people see the life you're living, the Lord is seeing the life you're living. And I'm telling you, God wants to bless your life and God wants you to live faithfully and obedient to him. He is paying attention to you. He sees every part of your life. He knows your heart. He knows where you're struggling. He knows where you're faithful. She's asking Boaz, why am I favored? Boaz directly connects the favor and blessings on her life to her faithfulness and obedience. And he is doing a great job of saying, hey, I'm not the only one that's seen this. God is seeing it and it's the Lord who's blessing you and he's using me to do it. Yes. Isn't it fun to be a blessing to others on behalf of God, everybody? I don't know about you, but I love when God lets me be a Boaz to somebody else and be a blessing to them. And they go, why do I deserve this? I go, because God loves you, that's why. That's what Boaz is telling her. She doesn't even hardly know the Lord. She's brand new to this faith and already God is being faithful to her, y'all. Can I tell you the Lord, the Bible says the Lord is no respecter of persons. If he'll be faithful to Ruth, he'll be faithful to you. If he'll be faithful to her as a baby believer, he'll be faithful to you as a seasoned believer. Can I hear an amen, everybody? She's asking, why am I favored? Boaz says, because you're faithful, because you're obedient, because you're good to Naomi. Ruth was committed to serving her husband's mother. Many people notice her faithfulness and God would then use those people to bless Ruth as a result. I want you to understand something. There's a connection 
between God's favor on your life and your obedience and faithfulness to God with your life. I gotta say it again, I'm not trying to make this a formula, I'm just saying there's a connection. There's a connection. I believe God wants to favor you and I think when you're living as like the best you can, obedient, faithful to God, I'm striving to be faithful to God, it's not to earn your salvation, it's because you're a saved person, because you go, I belong to God, I wanna live for him. Man, God says, I wanna, I wanna favor that. Isn't this true at work, everybody? How many of you know the people that get promotions are the people that are kind and good and show up on time and do their hard work? Do they give out promotions to lazy good-for-nothing dirtbags who steal the, the good parking spots? You know what I'm saying? Like, isn't this true in relationships? Like relationships advance and get healthier and better as you serve one another and be, you're kind to one another? Who wants to be in a lifelong relationship with someone who takes advantage of them and abuses them? I'm just telling you, I think there's a massive connection between God's favor and blessing on your life and your obedience and faithfulness to him. I also think the opposite is true. Now, this might step on your toes a little bit, but I'm gonna do it because I love you. I think it's hard for us to expect that God would want to bless you and favor you when you're walking in disobedience to the Lord. Can't tell you how many times people have said, man, I'm praying for breakthrough in my finances, but they won't tithe and give generously to the Lord. I'm praying for God to bless my relationship, but I'm harsh and coarse with my wife or my husband. I really want God to bless my dating relationship, but we're having sex out of marriage and, and moved in together before we got married. Why should we expect the blessing and favor of God when we are committed to disobedience to him? Are you seeing the connection here, guys? Ruth is a young believer and follower of the Lord. She's doing the process that she was taught. I just remember as a new Christian, there was stuff I didn't understand. I didn't get the whole raise your hands and worship stuff. That's what we did at rock concerts. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Arsenio Hall was repping it like this. Then I go to church as a brand new Christian and they're like, come on, let's lift our hands to the Lord. I was like, okay. This is weird. I don't know what this is. Touchdown. I didn't know. I remember the first time I heard a teaching on tithing 10%. I had no concept of that. I just said, okay. And as a brand new Christian, I had a job. I've had a job since I was like 11. But anyway, I just got like a W-2 since I was 14. And at 17, I heard you should tithe 10% to God. I was like, okay. Sometimes we just trust the process that God gives us. Stop fighting it, arguing it, and trying to go around it and position ourselves for the favor and blessing of God. Y'all hear what I'm saying, everybody? Why am I gonna fight God when his ways are higher than my ways and his ways are better than my ways? Ruth didn't get into an argument with God because she's been suffering and well, Lord, you know my heart and my husband died and I get to do it my way. She trusted God in hard times and positioned herself for a blessing. I'm just telling you, God wants to bless your life. You need to wanna live faithfully to God. You can't control God's hand, but you can control yours. I am. <laughs> if you're watching, someone said, preach it. I said, I am, all right. Sometimes we gotta explain the jokes for the audience, the worldwide audience on television and beyond. So watch Boaz told her, he said, God's favored you. I'm just a conduit of God's favor. I'm just a conduit of God. Listen, people are watching your life and God wants to use them to bless your life. And she says, well, I have found favor in your eyes too. For you have comforted me. This is how God will do it. He'll bless you through people. She says, I found favor in your eyes. You've comforted me. 
you have spoken kindly to me, even though I'm not even one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said, hey, come over here and eat some bread with us. Dip your bread in this wine. I don't know if that's a normal thing. Seems gross, but whatever. Soggy and whatever, hey. So she sits beside the other reapers. Remember, he's called her daughter. He said, our, our table's your table now. He said, come have dinner with us. Come have lunch with us. And he passes her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied. In other words, she ate till she was full and had leftovers. How many of you love it when you eat enough and you get a doggy bag to take to the house, everybody? I just want you to see the favor of God on this widow outsider enemy of Israel. She is totally favored. What set her up for that kind of favor? She just was faithful to the process of God. She didn't even have her theology worked out right. She just had her life in position with God. I just want to remind you to remain, remain faithful to God and let him favor you and bless you. He'll do that through others, man. He'll bless you. Even Jesus experienced this. The Bible says that he grew in wisdom, stature, and he grew in favor with God the Father and with people. Your faithfulness to God matters and makes a difference for you. And finally, it blesses, God blesses faithfulness. God blesses faithfulness and he blesses faithful people. Look at the rest of this text, starting in verse 15. When she rose to glean, so now the lunch break's over, she got her doggy bag full of extra roasted grain. Sounds delicious. She, she rose up to glean the rest of the afternoon. So then Boaz instructs his young men. He said, hey, let her glean even from among the sheaves, which is the bundles in the storage closet the grain that's already been bundled up. He said, let her glean from there too. In other words, he's saying like this, hey, you don't have to go back out to the field if you don't want to. Just go in the pantry and get as much as you want. Favor ain't fair, y'all. He says to the guys, he goes, hey, let her glean from the, store, the bundles in storage. And he says, don't rebuke her, don't reproach her. Don't, in other words, don't tell her not to. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean it. He goes, don't even make her go in the pantry. Just bring it out to her and don't rebuke her. So she gleans in the field until evening, all day, first day on the job of gleaning as a widow. She beats out all the, the, the barley that she needs. And it was about an ephah of barley, which would be about 10 to 14 days worth of food. On day one, she's got almost two weeks of food provided for her and Naomi. This is favor. This is over the top provision. And she took it up and she went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned and she brought out and gave to Naomi what food she even had left over. She's like, hey, I got all this E5 grain. Oh yeah, I got some leftovers from El Rancho Grande. Come on, Jesus, hallelujah. Have the rest of my fajita. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about? You ever come home to your wife or your husband and you're like, David at the house, we eating peanut butter and jelly, some Cheez-Its. And you come home with some leftover mail room or El Rancho Grande, like, here, girl, have the rest. Oh, I'm stuffed. Oh, bless God, I can't eat another fajita. That has never happened in my house, ever. <laughs> this is amazing. God blesses faithfulness. Here's the key to this, and I wanna close. Ruth didn't force God to do anything. She just forced herself to be in position to obey God, to trust his word and his process. And the Lord blessed that. I believe that's what God wants for us. In fact, I think the story of Ruth, I think it really happened. Honestly, I believe the story was real. But I also think there's an allegory that we can, we can learn from the character of God over people who are doing what they can to be faithful to God. God wants to bless you. And I wanna challenge you, do you wanna be faithful and obedient to the Lord? Ruth was a widow. Ruth was a foreigner. She came from an enemy state but Ruth was committed to be faithful to Naomi, to serve her, to go with her, to live with her, to worship her God, even die with her. 
She was so amazingly faithful to Naomi and to God as a result that God provided for all of them, this enemy woman, more than enough for her and for Naomi. If you read ahead 19 through 22, watch this. Her mother-in-law said, where did you glean today? She comes home with a doggy bag. Where did you get all this? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Hey, this is the first time Naomi has had a blessing come out of her mouth because she's been bitter. And all of a sudden, the blessing on Ruth became a blessing to a bitter woman named Naomi. She says, blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she worked, she said, this man who I worked with today, his name is Boaz. Naomi said, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi is starting to have a change of heart because her bitterness is turning into blessing. Naomi said, this man's a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. We're gonna learn about what it means to be a kinsman redeemer soon. And Ruth the Moabite said, Ruth the outsider, the enemy of Israel said, besides he said to me, keep close to my young men until we finish all of the harvest. Notice at the end of chapter one, it said Naomi and Ruth came at the beginning of harvest and they're gonna stay through the end of harvest. Look at this, we're gonna, get, we're gonna get so much food, we're gonna get so much provision. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women. Don't go to any other field lest you get assaulted. Verse 23 says, so they kept close to the women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Here's the thing I want you to see in the second chapter. God wants to bless you. God wants to favor us. And God wants you to be faithful to him and obedient to him. That you would position your life in a way that you're trusting the plans of God, the word of God, the process of God. God wants to bless you either directly from himself or through others, God wants to bless you. So let me ask you one simple, final, difficult question. Before you leave, let me ask you this. Are you living your life in an obedient and faithful way? Have you positioned your life in such a way that you can become a recipient of God's blessing and favor. Ruth had no idea what she was doing. She was simply obeying Naomi and trusting the process of God. Are you positioned in a way that you're ready to receive the blessing and favor of God? And if you're not, adjust that. I'm talking about your devotion life. I'm talking about your church life. I'm, I'm talking about your private life. I'm talking about your relationships. Are you trusting God's plans and processes? Are you living your life in a way that you've positioned yourself to be under the blessings and the favor of Almighty God? And if you're not, adjust. Repent, that's what it's called, repentance. Turn to God, and set yourself in a way that you're ready to receive God's favor and his blessing. Why would we expect the favor and blessing of God while walking in disobedience to God? Did you get anything out of this today, everybody? Come on, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Ruth. As our prayer team comes, listen, if you want prayer for anything, get ready to come and receive it. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for the story of Ruth and what you're teaching us through this amazing story. I think it's an amazing story of your faithfulness over us, your faithfulness over people who wanna position themselves close to you and your word. God, I pray for everyone in our church that's hearing this message that we would say, God, I want to, like Ruth, position my heart, my life, my relationships, my behaviors in such a way that I'm ready to receive the blessing and favor of God. Lord, bring us to a place of humility and repentance 
that we'd forgive quickly, that we'd give generously, that we'd commit to your church and the body of Christ, that we would, God, choose to live simply and humbly before our amazing, powerful God, that we would learn to trust you and to walk with you and see the hand and favor of God. In Jesus' name, would you just open your hands and pray this with me? Say, Lord, I believe in you. I believe in the Son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life to die for me so that I can live forever, so that I can position my life in such a way to receive the blessing and the favor of God. Say, I receive it by faith that you died on a cross, raised from the dead to give me eternal life and eternal living. Say, Lord, I'm all yours. I will live as best as I can, faithful and obedient to you. I trust you. I wanna walk with you. I'm all in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on. We're so happy that you joined us today. If you'd like to grow in your walk with Jesus, stay connected or partner with us through generosity, be sure to visit our website at lifepointchurch.tv. We hope that you have a blessed week and we'll see you next Sunday.